What's good, First Church? Welcome back to the final week of our series called Hot Takes. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I am so pumped to be done with this series because for me personally, it's been a little stressful. But, uh, you know, Jesus didn't teach to be popular. I know that he teaches the truth in love. And uh, that's who we are as a church. And I think because of God's truth and love, our churches are a place of life transformation, redemption, and second chances. It is God's truth and love that changes lives. That's the gospel of Jesus. I want to welcome online. I want to welcome the Jasper County Jail Campus in Hebron. And then DeMont Wheatfield, it's really good to be with you guys today. And today we're going to have a conversation about the Pride Progress flag. And I'll reveal my actual hot take later in the message. But a few weeks ago, I gave a sermon where I took a jab uh, at something my brother and his wife hold near and dear. And I didn't do it intentionally, like I didn't think about them when I did it. But after the sermon, my dad confronted me and he, he said, John, how would you feel um, if your brother treated you that way? And I was like, I would feel not good. I mean, immediately I was convicted. But here's the thing. I knew I was in the wrong. I just didn't want to call and apologize because I didn't want to deal with the conversation. Have you ever been there? You know, when, when, when you made somebody upset and you know it and you have to have a tough conversation, but you just kind of want to run away and avoid the conversation because you know you're going to get lectured and you know you deserve it and you know whatever. And anyway, I just sort of put it off for a solid month. And uh, I called him this last Tuesday and the conversation was fine. He was super gracious, kind and forgiving. And I'm so glad that we did it. Our relationship was better. I put it off for way too long. And that's a lot like the conversation we're having today. This is one of those deals where I think both sides sort of dread talking about it. I think the church has been unintentionally and sometimes intentionally hurtful to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer community. I think occasionally we've been unwilling to listen and to our LGBT friends who are listening. I want you to know I'm sorry for the pain that we've unnecessarily caused. And I would also say that particularly the Pride Progress movement has been hurtful and intolerant at different times to the Christian community. I know that there's a lot of Christians who bear a lot of hurt from that. So I know there's pain on both sides, but today my hope is we can have a real conversation about a tough issue. No, many of us might dread having it, just like I dreaded having that conversation with my brother. I hope that it, at the end of this, we'll have a deeper love and understanding and empathy for different sides of this conversation and maybe even a restored relationship because that's what Jesus is about. And uh, four years ago, my brother and his wife courageously put their careers on the line and they shared their personal story that is going to be linked in the description below this talk when it's posted online after the fact. And I think it was probably the most compassionate and best message that we could give on this topic, on God's plan for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. And uh, I strongly encourage you to check that message out. Uh, since my brother was a boy, the short of it is he was attracted to men and not women. And he came out to my dad and then later the rest of our family at a young age. And we've explored what it means to follow Jesus as a same-sex attracted man since that day. And that message, like I said, linked below. And before we get started, I want our church to know I have a deep compassion and real relational connection to this issue. And I have a deep empathy for so many people who are carrying this burden, trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus in this context. And I love what Jesus says about conversations like this. He says, love is patient and kind. It's not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. And today, I hope that we can all commit to this simple definition of love. Patient, kind, not jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. It does not demand its own way. And that's something I love about Jesus. I think so many other world movements demand their own way, but Jesus doesn't. Jesus, in grace, beckons and calls, but doesn't demand. 
says it's not irritable, it, it keeps no record of being wrong, we commit to do those things. But then verse six within this triplet of verses is probably the most important part. And I wanna talk about that for a minute today too because I think it's part of the definition of love that so many people drop out. Paul says, it does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. And that's part of our commitment today as well because love speaks the truth in addition to being patient and kind. And I wanna use that whole definition of love to have a loving conversation about this topic today. Now in the past, I've done sermons where I've addressed people who are in the midst of working through what their sexual orientation is. I've addressed that struggle directly and that's not today's sermon. If you're personally in the midst of this or you have a family member who was in the midst of this, please check out that sermon in the link. Also, if you have a child who identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer, I'll be hosting a life group um, personally for those families. We have limited space, but you can sign up on your blue cards. That's just something that I know is a major conversation, and, and we've worked through that as a family. And um, It's Life Group Sunday, by the way. Anybody who wants to be a part of a life group, to be a part of a smaller community, I'd encourage you to consider joining one of those on your blue card. I think, especially in today's environment, having a smaller Christian community is critical uh, in following Jesus and being steadfast in your relationship with him. I'm super passionate about it. But today, I wanna talk with everybody, everybody, about how the pride progress movement is affecting our culture and faith. I think that's a good conversation to have. And for years as I've worked through this conversation, as I've thought about the, the topic we're having a conversation about today, it, it reminds me of this passage. Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by the devil after a 40-day long fast. Jesus is preparing to start the prime part of his ministry and the devil's tempting him. And for the third temptation that the devil gives to Jesus, it says, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And the devil said, I'll give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. I think about that all the time. You know, as a kid, I thought, you know, if Jesus would have just bowed down, he could have had all the nations of the earth. I mean, think about how big the church could have been. Think about how easy it would have been. If, I mean, if he would have just bowed down and worshiped, I mean, it would be so easy. God would have given him the nations. Today, oftentimes, I think about the pride progress movement. You know, if I just bow down, if we just bow down, it'd be so easy. I mean, think about how many people, how much easier it would be. It'd be so easy to do. Sometimes I wonder, why call people away from sin? If you're the God of grace, why not just enjoy life? What's with all these pesky rules, Jesus? Jesus' response is, it's courageous, it's bold, it's super clear. In the next verse, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve only him, only him, only him. He's referencing, in a distant sort of way, the first of the 10 commandments, which says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I think one of the big questions today when it comes to being a Christian, many people love Jesus. We see the evidence for Jesus, but will you worship the Lord God alone, first and foremost, when everybody else is worshiping another God, when it's not popular? And I think for younger generations in particular, the call to worship something that is not the God of the Bible is super strong. Older generations today, my generation, millennials and older, we have no idea what the youngest generation faces. And the generational divide is really, really stark 
Bill Maher, uh, who is a commentator, I believe, on Comedy Central. Um, I saw a clip on YouTube that he did the other day that incorporates a lot of what I'll be sharing, but he really put it into perspective for me in a way that I'd not seen before. Um, the youngest generation, that's uh, the silent generation, um, that's uh, Joe Biden's generation, has 0.8% that would identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. And that actually begins to double for every generation thereafter. So baby boomers had 2.6% of their generation is LGBTQ. Gen X went on to have 4.2% of their generation identify as LGBTQ. More than doubled for millennials, up to 10.5%. This is my generation. And then the Zoomer generation, Gen Z, you would think, is it really gonna continue to accelerate at this rate? And the answer is yes. 20.8% of Gen Z identifies as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. That's one in five. No, is that, yeah, that's one in five. And that's an astonishing rate of growth. And at this rate of growth, it's not a lie, not an exaggeration. Literally, everybody will be gay or trans by the year 2055. And I think when things are changing this fast, it's okay to ask why. Like, why is this happening? At this rate of growth, it's not ridiculous to say that humanity will face population reduction issues and extinction risks in the coming decades. I think it's legit to ask why are prepubescent children without significant amounts of hormones that create sex drive in the first place able to so clearly determine their sexual orientation? Why are kids allowed to determine their gender at public schools where in some cases parents are not notified? Why are we so careful to protect kids from peanut allergies but so quick to give them irreversible hormone treatments and body-altering surgeries? Perhaps this is why Finland and Sweden no longer allow this kind of treatment for children. Because it turns out there's a litany of unexplored side effects that pu puberty blockers bring to kids. Not the least of which is bone density, which is important if you like not breaking your bones. And I think about our kids and I want them to be healthy and thriving. Why is the occurrence of lesb lesbian, gay, and bisexual children so affected by region? In Los Angeles, it's not uncommon for multiple parents at a dinner party to all have a trans kid, while that would be very rare in DeMont or Hebron. And either Indiana is shaming them or California is making them. I think this is worth asking. As we look at this chart, as we consider the implications of what it means, this is a real occurrence in our society. And it's not just how do we as Christians respond to this. I think it's how do we as a society, how do we as people think about this reality? If you haven't noticed, for kids, doing things for popularity is kind of a big deal. Prominent 71-year-old trans activist and clinical psychologist Erica Anderson, who is herself transgender, says, I think it's gone too far. The LA Times, in an interview with her, summarized her statements saying, she has come to believe that some of the children identifying as trans are falling under the influence of their peers and social media. I'm not saying that that's all kids. I'm not saying that that's all people. I think that many people, like my brother, legitimately from childhood have serious questions about their sexuality. But scientifically, this rate of biological change is simply not possible. There's no evolutionary explanation for this. There can be no doubt that the increases we're seeing in the LGBT community are sociological, not biological. At least some, maybe even most. And that should be a sobering thing for us. I mean, I think everybody, even if you're not a Christian, all of us need to stop and just think for a moment that in some cases, we are permanently altering a kid's genital development and sexual development and dramatically changing their sexual experience because of sociological pressure, because of pressure. No matter what your religious beliefs are, I think we should pause for a moment and take a moment of compassion and loving thought for future generations.
If some of this isn't natural, I think the big question should be, why? What in our society is causing this to happen? Why is this happening? And I think the answer comes from this flag, the Pride Progress Movement. This is the Pride Progress flag. And this movement is something that a lot of, I think especially older generations might not even recognize. Younger people, younger kids, we all know what this is. But older generations, I don't even think you know what this means. Some of you may have seen the pride flag. I haven't seen the progress portion of it. But each color in here represents something specifically. Allow me to share with you. The red represents life. The orange represents healing. The yellow represents the sun. Green represents nature. Blue represents serenity. And some sources say art and magic. And the purple represents the spirit. The black and brown is unique on this because it represents people of color, which is sort of a different category. It's a non-sexuality one. And I think what's happened is the Pride Progress Movement has appropriated the civil rights movement as its own, using uh, people of color as a vehicle to get into that. Then there's pink and light blue. That represents trans people. And then the circle is an entirely different conversation about intersex people. And uh, there, there are a small percentage of people that are born legitimately um, with characteristics of both sexes. And uh, that's a whole other conversation to have, which I think is super important. The Bible actually makes some mention and reference of that. But I look at this list, and I find it really interesting. Because this flag has some very religious undertones. And that's a big deal. I mean, think about it. Healing, nature, art and magic, and the spirit. And for many, I get that your sexual orientation or the orientation of someone close to you is a legitimate question mark and something that you are difficultly, painfully exploring. I preach sermons on that. I care about you. I know the burden that you carry. I know it's hard for you and your family to really sort this out. But on a greater level, I want to talk about some things that this flag represents for our society, for everyone. And it leads me to the hot take for the week. Hot take, I believe the Pride Progress flag represents a religion. A religion that is deeply integrated with society and politics. And here's the thing. This is big. It claims to be a movement of civil rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, but I think it has become a movement of religious rights, R-I-T-E-S. See what I did there? Rights and rights. I'm smart. I'm just kidding. And rituals. Consider religious parades with me for a moment, okay? Um, I don't know if you know this, but most parades have centered around religious rituals for most of human history. That's where parades originate. I would even argue um, that our 4th of July f- uh, parades have a, a religious undertone to them. We're worshiping, you know, the flag, America, whatever. But for Easter, for Christmas, in America, for Thanksgiving, around the world, people gather and have parades for religious significance. In Guatemala, um, they have huge Easter parades, huge Easter parades. And for months before Easter, they'll have Easter rehearsal parades for the big day. This is a picture of a float um, from an Easter rehearsal parade in Guatemala. And I'll tell you what, I missed a scene in the Bible where a winged mechanical lion drags the body of Christ in an intricate silver juggernaut. But the Guatemalans certainly did not miss that scene. Uh, it, it's not actually there, but that is, that's a sick float, no doubt. Um, this sort of religious parade is everywhere. And many of you have been to one, you know, the holiday lights parades. That's what they call it, you know, because we try to remove a lot of religion from it. But it is a religious parade, right? So many of our parades are rooted around religion. And I want you to think, these parades are ubiquitous. They're everywhere. In America, a new religion has started a new parade. Check out the Pride Parade in San Francisco. Here's a typical float. Everybody gathers together to celebrate this religion, this movement, give love, take pride. You know, hundreds of these floats, hours-long parade. Here's a sightseeing bus in the parade displaying people's pronouns, people proudly, you know, celebrating and worshiping this movement. All parts of society, every facet of society comes out for this parade. Facebook, Google, Snapchat, Instagram, even Blue Shield. It used to be Blue Cross, Blue Shield, but the cross was offensive and removed. 
Now it is simply Blue Shield, but this is a health insurance company that must come and show deference and worship to this new movement. Amazon, temporarily rebranded as Glamazon, has their own float in this parade. They actually won this particular year because businesses, politicians show up. Gavin Newsom was in this parade. Even the police show up to this parade and show deference. They must bow a knee to this God because patriotism, politics, show religious devotion, even in our flag. Here's the most poignant picture I found, though. This is where I was like, you know what? I really think that this is a religion. On the back of the grandstand, there was a billboard about a tweet shown. And this tweet, it was the ethos of the parade. It says this, our truth is in every corner of the world. It's our history. It's the promise of a vibrant future. We're beautiful and we are here. Basically, it's saying we're not a religion. We just want to spread our religion and truth to every corner of the world because it's our past, our present, and our future. It's the lens through which we see the world, which sounds a lot like religion to me. It's our everything. This is how we see the world. This is how we look at the world. This is what defines us. This is who we are. This is, this is a religion. Here's a picture of the pride flag over a base in Afghanistan. Um, it's interesting because we have, the, in the progress side of the flag, we have people of color, but if the people of color disagree with us, then we're gonna have the pride flag supersede them because it's not that we're allies with them, it's that we wanna legitimize our movement using that movement. Because here's why. I believe that the pride flag represents religion. I believe it represents a religion that's had profound effects on our society. You know, our society has always believed in something called the separation of church and state, and here's why. When you get religion and politics put together, you begin to have a lot of difficulty having civil discourse, having a real conversation, because, um, well, because it's hard to talk about a religion and politics without getting angry at one another. Elon Musk recently published a cartoon and uh, this is his vision of what's happened in our society. He talks about how in the year 2008, he would define himself as left of center, He'd say, here's my fellow liberal, here's a conservative. We have lots of people who are left of center in our church, and I love that. I love having a diverse church, Democrats, Republicans, you know, rich, poor, old, young, all together to worship Jesus. Um, but he says, you know, in 2012, societally, something began to happen where my fellow liberal began to expand farther to the left. And he saw himself becoming, you know, relatively more centrist, even though his opinions didn't change. And today, Elon Musk would say, wow, I'm right of center, even though nothing happened, and my fellow liberal now looks at me and calls me a bigot. That's his perspective of the world. I'm not saying necessarily it's what everybody says, but I think no one really can argue against the fact that the left has expanded much farther left. And some would say the right has as well, but what has caused this move to the left? What has caused this move to the left? I would also say to a lesser extent, this move to the right. And I think it is the incorporation of religion and politics, religion and politics. Major political conversation 30 years ago used to be centered around free markets, how to manage the economy, right? Big government, small government, big taxes, small taxes. That was what political conversation used to be about. I think today most of us can agree that there is a huge portion of political conversation that is now about the religion of the pride flag. It's a huge part of our politics because no longer is the conversation about politics. It's a conversation now about good versus evil. And the hard part is when you bring religion into politics, you can't have a civil debate because it's rooted in a demanding religion. Religion says, if you don't bow a knee to this flag, you're an evil person. And you can't participate in our society. We will cancel you. And don't get snippy with us because the police have bent the knee. We have authority. And if you disagree with us politically, we'll sanction you, we'll cancel you. And it's not that we're citizens of the same country who can agree to disagree. We can't be in a relationship. And I see no difference between cancel culture and calling someone an infidel, a heretic, an apostate because this movement has become a very authoritarian religion. I'm not saying all police everywhere bow the knee. I'm just saying in San Francisco, that's the case. But 
It reminds me of Jesus in the wilderness. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. If you kneel down and worship me in this one area, if you kneel down, and today I think the temptation is to kneel down to the pride flag. And to be clear, the Bible universally and irrefutably tells us that sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sinful. And some expedient, dishonest theologians dispute this, but there's really no honest way to interpret the six direct passages that reference LGBT sex as okay without disposing of the rest of the Bible if you're gonna have a consistent interpretation of the Bible. And Satan stands at the doorstep and he says, just ignore God's word. Just worship me and I'll give you everything. I'll give you the nations. I think for many people, the question initially was, well, what about that person in my life, pastor? That's really what I need answers for. And that's, that's definitely a big conversation. That's what the last sermon I preached on this is about. It's linked in the description. But I think the question is no longer about a person in your life who is non-traditional in their sexual orientation. I think the greater question is now for everybody in American society. And as a Christian, this flag no longer just represents a certain group of people. I think this flag represents a movement, an identity, and a faith that demands everybody bow down regardless of your orientation. Like we talked about a week ago, or two weeks ago, all roads don't lead to heaven. They lead to different places. And look, last week we talked about there are some places in our life where God has a specific statement on what his plan is, and we need to pray and ask, can I trust God with this? And I know for many of you, much like my brother and his wife in particular, you're praying hard about it. It's a legit place to think. And I get some of you might disagree with me today and I want you to know this is a safe place to check out God at your own pace and to really consider, do I wanna trust him in this and in all areas? Because the cost is high. If you don't worship this flag, some of you are gonna face a modicum of loneliness in a specific area of your life. Some people will have your friends call you a bigot. I've had threats to my family's safety because I preach messages like this. Friends may alienate you. And look, that's not a response to a political disagreement. That's a response to a cult-like religious offense because the pride progress flag is a religion. It's religion. And I think the big question this week is will you choose to worship the God of the Bible first and only? Because that's what this is about. Just like you can't follow the religion of atheism and the religion of Islam and Hinduism and Christianity at the same time, you think you can, go back and watch week one. I believe that you can't affirm the pride progress flag and also claim to worship Jesus, regardless of your orientation. And affirm to me specifically means celebrate lifestyles and orientations that this flag represents. Obviously, I'm for people of color. That's, that's a different part of the flag that I'm not talking about today, but um, I believe that as a Christian, I can't affirm and celebrate that flag. Four points I'd like to make within this. And uh, the first one is really a question I wanna answer. People will ask me all the time, why does God say this is wrong? What's the big deal? Like, pastor, okay, I get it. The Bible says that, you know, whatever. You know, the Bible says, but why? I mean, it's, if you're gonna ask why has this change happened so fast, what's the deal with, you know, the change in society? I think it's fair that I can ask back, why does God even say this in the first place? It's a legitimate question. It's a question I asked myself for years. Why would God say this? Why can't our family just be their natural selves? Like, what is the deal with that? You know, I started looking at peer-reviewed, published academic research, and I will cite everything I'm talking about in the description to this talk if you wanna look for yourself. Peer-reviewed, published, in reputable journals, academic research, and what it says about life satisfaction for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people living in secular societies affirmed lifestyle for them. 
And uh, the research is discouraging. It says the LGBT community is one of the most psychologically unhealthy people groups in the world. And that's a study of an amalgamation of 13,000 studies conducted on this topic. And you'll notice a lot of my research is a little bit older because in 2008, uh, the ivory tower basically uh, put a sanction against doing any sort of study on this any longer because the study kept coming back saying it's not good. But depression, anxiety, self-harm, and risky behavior are much higher for LGBTQ people living in that lifestyle. Perhaps the most alarming stat that I found, and this is heartbreaking, is that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities experience suicidality that is much higher, much higher. Suicidality for gay men and women is 30 to 32%. It's a fairly well-tested number that's stable across, across region and decades. And that's staggering. It's heartbreaking. For transgender people, suicidality is about 40%. 40% of transgender people will attempt suicide. And again, that's heartbreaking. That's devastating. And for point of reference, um, it's difficult having exact numbers, uh, but during the Holocaust and World War II at Auschwitz, the suicidality rate was about 40%. And so that's just a staggering number. And the prevailing narrative has been that these problems are the direct result of social and societal discrimination. And I want to be clear. I believe that bullying, hate, and harassment on all levels by anyone towards anyone in the LGBT community is sinfully wrong. I condemn it in the name of Jesus. But studies recently indicate that the unhealth in the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community does not come from social pressure, bullying, or discrimination, hate, or harassment, despite the truly incredible change in societal acceptance and even affirmation and celebration of the LGBT community, psychological morbidity and suicidality have continued at the same level, at the same level, suggesting that some, much, or even most of these issues are unrelated to social discrimination, bullying, or harassment. So the thing is, I think that supporting a lifestyle that produces this much pain is not loving. If you had a friend who lived in extreme alcoholism, you would be unloving not to intervene. They would not like it, and I've intervened for alcoholics in my life, and they always say the same thing. They say, I'm always going to be this way. I was born an addict. This is part of who I am. I could never overcome this. You don't know what it's like to struggle with this. You don't understand. Alcohol is oxygen to me. I need this. I didn't ask for this. It's just a part of what I am. But the data is real. Severe alcoholism will destroy their life. And what you don't realize, when you're asking an alcoholic to give up alcohol, live a life without it, they will be permanently removing the joy and the numbness and the intimacy that comes from alcohol. Something they'll never have back. And there is a part of that that we just can't understand if you've not been an alcoholic. There's a level of connection, numbness, joy, release that, that you're asking them to give up, but the reduced risks and other benefits, I think, are worth it. Now, in any other circumstance, if you had a friend that embraced a lifestyle that shortened life expectancy by 8 to 20 years, gay men have a life expectancy that is 8 to 20 years shorter, uh, had much higher rates of depression, anxiety, and risky behavior, had the increased probability of domestic violence. LGBT couples are the most violent couples in the community at home for domestic violence. Lesbians have a domestic violence occurrence of 48% in romantic relationships. Uh, suicidality of 30 to 40%. If you had a friend that was participating in a lifestyle that had these negative statistics with it, if you were a loving person, you wouldn't condemn the person, you wouldn't ignore the issue, but you wouldn't affirm the struggle, you wouldn't celebrate it. You'd beg them to get help. You'd beg them to find a different road. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, you believe in the Bible, these truths are super clear. And here's the deal. The reason lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender sex is not best for us is because it puts us at great risk for things God loves us too much to let us go through. 
And I think as a loving heavenly father, God looks at these lifestyles and says, hey, I don't want you to do this because I love you. And as a loving father, I don't want you to experience the things that go along with this. Some of you say, but what are the alternatives, pastor? Well, my brother chose to have a unique marriage with a woman as a same-sex attracted man, and he has a wonderful life. He's actually the happiest guy that I know. I mean, they're genuinely high levels of life satisfaction. Other Christians choose Christian community and celibate singleness and have high levels of life satisfaction. I'll tell you the anecdote of my life tells me super clearly that walking in secular, same-sex lifestyles doesn't lead to a low level of drama and a high level of life satisfaction. The pride progress movement is a religion that doesn't work, and it's not rooted in science or data. In fact, the science and data tells us that what society says should happen is not best. God says it's wrong because it's a religion that doesn't work and it hurts people. Now, um, second point I want to make is not bowing to this flag is going to cost us as Christians. When Jesus did not worship the devil, Satan would ultimately kill him. And it's amazing to think about the level of oppression that Jesus faced. Think about this with me for a second. Satan used every level of secular society to oppress Jesus. Politics, religion, civic society, all to legislate and kill, legislate against and ultimately kill Jesus. The Pharisees were political leaders and religious leaders of the day. They conspired with the Roman-appointed King Herod who conspired with the Roman-appointed Roman prefect Pontius Pilate to legislate a plan against Jesus. And I think it's because Satan is really petty. And three years before that, he was insulted by Jesus who said, I'm not gonna worship you. For the Lord says, worship your God and serve only him. No one can hold a grudge like Satan can. And I see similar things happening today. Many of you know the story of the Christian baker who had longtime clients that were a gay couple that he was friends with, that he worked with, and they were getting married. They said, hey, we want you to bake our cake. And he said, look, I'll bake you a cake for many other things. Here's a business card of some friends who might bake you this cake, but my religion says, no, I can't do it. I just, I don't feel comfortable doing it. And they sued him. He received death threats. I believe he ultimately lost his business, boycotts, hatred. I know wedding halls are being shut down. I know photographers face great difficulty. I know public education funds teachers who will teach that this flag is a good thing. Parades demand allegiance from businesses, insurance companies, politicians everywhere. And I wanna be clear, Jesus never came to set up a political kingdom. He never came to legislate a morality. And that's what I love about Jesus. The most free movements that the world has seen. The greatest respect for human life and dignity comes in countries that are traditionally Christian. Satan did come to legislate morality. In every non-Christian country, country that has been traditionally non-Christian, I think has a much lower degree of freedom because Satan demands allegiance. And Jesus gives us a choice. Today, I want you to be prepared to pay a price if you won't need to kneel to that flag. That's something we need to prepare kids to do. Point number three, I think this movement is really good at evangelizing. On every platform you can imagine, many of you see it today, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, YouTube, TV, the Pride Progress religion is evangelizing. Our government subsidizes the religion through federal media outlets like National Public Radio. Our schools teach about it in sex ed. And while I recognize that many, like my brother, are dealing with painful, long-term burdens to carry, and I applaud, I applaud uh, same-sex attracted people for honoring God's plan in this area, we should have compassion and empathy. I also think seeing 20% of Gen Z personally identifying as non-traditional and 90% bowing a knee to this flag. I think as a church, as Christians, we need to provide clear counterpoints 
We need to have real conversations with all generations about this. And as Christians, I think this means we need to work five times as hard to seek out intentional sources of truth and love for our kids and for ourselves. This is why reading our Bibles is important. This is why going to church every week, I think, is important. This is why life groups, oh man, so, so important to surround yourself with a community of people that reminds one another of the truth of the Bible, the evidence of science, and the goodness of God. And that's what I love about God. He doesn't ask for blind faith. It's a clear, informed, logical, rational, reasonable faith. I've no doubt that some of you may feel a little intimidated, but I will remind you that without a doubt, the 11 surviving apostles on Easter Sunday morning probably felt a degree of fear and intimidation. I'm sure that the remnant of Christians in the Soviet Union in 1975 felt a degree of fear and intimidation. But I wanna remind you that Jesus, the God of love, wins. He wins, he wins. He is the only hope of the world. I think all other religions, especially the religion of atheism and pride progress, lead to intolerance and cancel culture lead to dehumanization of enemies. You're a bigot, you're evil. But Jesus created a movement of grace, compassion, tolerance, truth, and love that is rooted in science, reason, logic, and scripture. That's the movement of Christianity. That's what I wanna be a part of. If you wanna change the world for the better, if you wanna heal polarization in the world that you see, Jesus is the answer. He is the answer, and no matter where you're at, I think we know that historically, even scientifically and sociologically, Jesus has been the builder of bridges, the builder of compassion. The reason why many different perspectives have a voice in American society is simply because of this man, Jesus, who chose to set up a spiritual kingdom, not a political one. And I believe that in Christ, the best is yet to come. Three questions as we close that I wanna ask our churches. Number one, where is Satan beckoning you to bow down? It might not be this today, but I believe in so many areas, just like Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. For many of us, Satan says, if you just compromise in this one way, you just compromise in your dating standards, you just date a non-believer, you just compromise your business practices, you just, you compromise in this one way and I'll give you everything else you want in life. Isn't that tempting? Isn't that how, how Satan normally works in life? You just compromise in this one way and I'll give you everything you need and want. Where is he tempting you? Great question to ask your spouse, your kids, your people. Number two, is there anything that God teaches that you don't trust him with? And I think this is a good thing to really think. This is the area. I mean, these are the things that I don't trust God with. I think it's worth listing out and saying, this, you know, it's tough for me. And in my life, there are definitely things that I've had to really say, man, it, it doesn't feel right, but I, I trust God in this and in all areas. I need to choose to submit to him. Number three, where in your life can you tell the devil, get out of here? Because the Bible says, worship the Lord your God alone. And that's what I'm gonna do. And that's the application for my church today, for this church today, for our church, excuse me. It's not mine, it's ours. But where are we gonna say, God, trust you alone. Get out of here, Satan. I'm worshiping you. I love you. And you have all of me. As we close, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet. I'd like to pray for all of our churches at all of our locations. God in heaven, I thank you that you're the God of science, the God of reason, the God of logic, the God of grace, the God of compassion, the God of second chances, and the God of tolerance. We know that Satan is a being of hatred and exclusion and anger and bigotry. And today as a church, we choose you, God. I said all of us would say, God, we choose you and we trust you. God, give us the vision and the courage and the wisdom on how to raise a new generation that loves you, 
that stands for you courageously with a steadfast, unwavering, legacy-building courage. God, we thank you for your truth and your grace, which is full of reason and logic and love and a good life. God, we choose to follow you even if it's hard, even if we have to face difficulty for it. We choose you. Thank you for this day and this time now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing this last song together.